at this time, I, I just think we need to pray for the Johnston family and uh, just pray for God's word this morning. So let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we just come, uh, we come this morning rejoicing because it's always a privilege to come into your house and worship and praise you. But Lord, we also come with uh, somewhat heavy hearts with this family. We just pray for the Johnston family in Loveland and we just lift them up to you and we just pray that uh, through it all, uh, you will be glorified and, and uh, praised and worshipped. We just pray that good comes out of this. But Lord, right now, we just pray for comfort with this family. And uh, you know their hearts. You know all that they're going through. And we just pray that they can just draw strength from you right now. And uh, and Lord, I just pray that whatever we can do, uh, let us be aware. But uh, right now, uh, just be with that family. And Lord, we also just pray for... Uh, the message this morning that your word uh, just sinks through to each one of us and that we can draw closer to you. And again, we just thank you that we can be here today. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And I think Scott mentioned uh, earlier about uh, the thank you. And we can't thank you enough for your prayers and your cards and all the support that you give us. So ahead of time, I'm thanking you again. So uh, thank you for allowing uh, me and Lisa to be here and to be your pastor and Scott feels the same way Melissa so anyway are we ready to go I mean not go out or you know and don't forget we have a potluck so the bad part about potlucks now is we can smell the food whereas before we were separated by a building so I'll try not to go too far or too long which you guys don't know whether I will or not right so, anyway, I'm going to just start this morning. We're going to kind of finish up the Grace series today. Um, and I just want to read our passage out of Matthew chapter 27. And we see that Jesus is at the point where he's been arrested and betrayed. Uh, Judas, the betrayer, has gone to the Jewish leaders to talk about what happened. And this is the story. If we look at verse 1 through 5 of Matthew 27, it says, Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. So this morning, this probably isn't a topic that we talk about a lot of times in church. But think about this. Sometime in your lifetime, you have probably done something awful. Can I bring a smile to your face? You know that you've made a mistake. You know that you have committed sin. And you feel really guilty and you feel really remorseful over it. You may have turned this guilt over to Jesus. You've asked Him for forgiveness. But it seems like that guilt seems to just still hit you. It doesn't matter that you just gave it to God. It just seems like you can't shake the feelings and the voices in your head Voices in your heart reminding you that you're guilty and it's your fault 
And you get all these ugly things being said to yourself. The sounds of condemnation sound over and over. And it creeps into your life at sometimes the most unsuspecting times. Now, you haven't literally hung yourself like Judas did, but a lot of times it's a hang-up in other ways. Because when we can't or we refuse to forgive ourselves, the effect of it can be really lifelong. It can lead us to be the person that God did not create us to be. We may find ourselves with this pervading sadness. We might struggle to experience real joy. It may turn into self-loathing, self-hatred. It may make us sabotage relationships around us. We might fall into self-destructive behavior patterns, which in some ways we try to do in order to escape our pain. And so in some ways, we may believe that we're kind of like Judas. That because we've messed up, we don't deserve any good. And we always see the negative side of things. How many of you look at yourself as optimist or pessimist? One or the other. Okay, for the three that understood that, that's good. Appreciate your hands. But we may believe that since we've done something bad, we might as well continue to do bad because, after all, I must just be a bad person. And it seems like whatever way I try to escape, the pain always seems to return. So the hardest thing sometimes and many times in our lives is to be able to forgive ourselves. So is there anything that you struggle to forgive yourself in? Maybe you're thinking, I've done something really, really bad, or maybe the person who was in need, I didn't help them like I should have. Something may have happened to them. Maybe you made a major mistake and it caused a lot of pain. What do we do in those situations? We've been talking about grace for about six weeks. Experiencing God's grace. And so if you're in this situation that I've described right now, where the forgiveness of yourself does not come easily, or maybe it hasn't come at all, We're going to make it through this. It's going to be good. I'm going to try and help you along. Because first of all, if you're aware of what you are putting yourself through, then you know that your heart aches for those things that you have done. When David was repenting of his, uh, after he was found out with his affair with Bathsheba, we all know the story out of Psalms here, He wrote this psalm, Psalm 51, and he wrote three verses at least on this that talks about this. He says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. You go over to verse 12 of chapter 51. It says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Verse 17, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. 
God will not despise. Do we hear what David's praying here? He's wanting to be cleansed. He, he knew his sin. Nobody had to remind him what he did. He knew. And he wanted God to create within his heart a clean and a pure heart within him. Because David at this point was filled with sin, there was no joy. He missed the sense of joy that came by experiencing the power and presence of God. David became vulnerable because he realized that he needed to be open and transparent with God. You see, a heart that is sorrowful is often soft and willing to be healed. Now, understand understand this. While God does not like sin, and God can't tolerate sin, God did not run from David when he sinned. David ran from God. And oftentimes we do the same thing. A lot of times we question, where is God in the midst of the pain that I'm feeling? God's right here. God never, ever leaves our side. We generally are the ones that run from Him. We're to take our mistakes, we're to take our wrongdoings, take our, seri- our sinfulness very seriously, but we've got to realize that the sin that we've been forgiven of does not define who we are, or the value in our lives. Let me give you an example. You know the Apostle Paul. Anybody heard of him? Before he gave his heart to Christ, he was against Christ. He was against the Jewish people becoming followers of Jesus. He did not like to see people following Jesus. He had these people imprisoned, many of them tortured. Even some of them were killed because Paul's hatred of Christianity. Paul's watching and condoning all these actions. But then something remarkable happens. He becomes a follower of Christ himself. His life changes. And do you realize he had to forgive himself as well for all that he had gone through and all that he had done? But he believed in the power of God's grace, which is reminded to us in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Jesus Christ our Lord. He's reminding us that our payment for sin is always death. Death alienates us from God. But the exciting part is God offers that free gift to all of us. Now, think about one of the most famous passages of all time in the Bible. John 3 and 17. Okay. So you've got to kind of have them both together. So what does that say? What's, what's, what's John 3, 16 and 17 say?
Okay. If we were in Awana, we'd give you a dollar because you did word perfect on that. That's pretty good. But do you hear the words in these pa- this passage, these two verses, the words of life and hope? This was Jesus talking. He's telling us that God so loved the world. He loved each one of us. He loved you. That He sent His only Son so that when we believe in Him, He gives us eternal life. It's a very simple message. We've heard it over and over and over again. Verse 17 says that God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn us. He didn't send Jesus into the world to beat us up. He didn't send Jesus into the world to remind us over and over of all the sins that we've committed. He didn't send Jesus into the world to call us all losers. He sent His Son into the world so that we could be saved through Him. That's the offer that God gives us. You see, we tend to believe that those words are for other people. They don't apply to me. Because we might think sometimes, well, if you really knew what I did, you would not even want to talk to me or be around me. And a lot of times we have that kind of attitude. We don't believe the words of hope and life from Jesus. So we discount the Scripture. You know who else did not believe in Jesus' words? It was in our passage this morning. Judas. He took the money from the purse. He wasn't totally honest. He sold out Jesus, which led Jesus to the cross. He did all of that, but that's not his worst sin. His worst sin, his worst shortcoming, was not believing who and who Jesus said he was. Because if Jesus, or if Judas really believed that Jesus was the Messiah, Judas would have been dancing in the streets. He would have been walking with Jesus. He would have not been against Jesus. And you know what? There was hope for Judas, but he didn't believe it. Now last week, I shared a story of a wee little man. Remember, the wee little man was he. See, you guys, see, that's one thing you remembered last week. Remember when Zacchaeus came to know Jesus? He said he was going to change the way that he was. He was going to repay the people who he took money from. He was going to be a different person because he had this change of heart. And Jesus said to him in Luke 19, Today salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Judas would have been there when Zacchaeus gave his heart to Christ. He would have seen Zacchaeus' life change. Because it was as if Jesus looked at Zacchaeus and said, Zach? don't know if they call him that, but he says, you've abandoned your Jewish brothers and sisters. You've disgraced your family and your God, but it's obvious that you've repented. And I think Jesus said to him, Zacchaeus, welcome to the family. Your sins are forgiven. I don't think Jews believe that was real. When the woman was caught in adultery, Judas was there. Judas knew what the law required. 
He knew that she was supposed to be stoned to death. But Jesus saw something different. Jesus saw grace and redemption. And in John 8.11, Jesus says to the woman, I don't condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. Should have had Ronnie read that. (laughs) I don't think Judas believed that either. Judas was also there when Jesus told the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. When the younger son took his father's inheritance and squandered it. And remember when the kid got his senses back and he returned home, his father ran out to meet him, told his servants, get the best robe, we're going to have a great meal because my son was lost, is now found. I don't think Jesus believed that, or Judas believed that either. So the question comes up, do we believe it? Do we take Jesus at his word? So here's the point. But you're probably glad we finally get to the point, right? If Jesus isn't telling the truth about who God is, then go ahead and struggle in your sin. But, that's a huge but here, if Jesus was right and you believe Him, about how, ra- how outrageous and never-ending the grace of God is, which He proved to us by the cross, you have something to believe in. We have something to live for. And if we have something to live for, and we know that God has forgiven us for everything and anything that we have done, and He does, I mean, we've talked about it for the last six weeks, if that's true, Why can we not forgive ourselves? If the perfect one is willing to forgive us and to not hold sins against us, shouldn't we do the same? You see, there are times when we commit a sin, we ask for forgiveness, and then we commit a sin, very same sin. And then we ask for forgiveness. And then for 20 times or so, we keep doing this, keep committing the same sin. And after the 20th time, you ask for forgiveness again. And you know what God does? He forgives you. He knows that each one of us are a work in progress. He's got to work overtime on me. So we're all a work. But He's there. He's always there. And this is what God does for us. We've all been given all the forgiveness that we will ever need. And what did we do to deserve it? Absolutely nothing. It was freely given to us. So now it's time for us to forgive ourselves. And we can forgive ourselves and move forward, but we need to believe in what Jesus said. Now, finally, say, I got here's the point. Finally, 
it's not easy to hold on to the belief that God's outrageous grace extends to us. Sometimes our self-loathing or our self-condemnation get in the way. Even when we hear the truth that we have been forgiven by others or forgiven by God, there's that voice of the accuser that's still in our, in our minds, still attacking us. And this is why if you want to forgive yourself, then it's really important to hang out with people who have been redeemed too. We need to hang out with a bunch of redeemed sinners. Sinners who have also received God's amazing grace. Now i got one more example. So this would be in conclusion. Look at the difference between two of the Two of the most famous disciples, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that. You got Peter and you got Judas. Both were talented, both were gifted. Both of them profoundly betrayed Jesus. One became isolated and died alone, which was Judas. But for the other, he remained in the community of some of the other fallen disciples and they found grace and were needed and they needed each other and they became a new creation. Peter ultimately became the leader of the church. In Ecclesiastes 4, Solomon offers these words of wisdom for us. He said, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. The people who are those strands are your brothers and sisters that have experienced the power of God's grace. They know. They trust God's Word. They've experienced pain and sorrow. They've struggled to overcome as well. And God has promised that He will never, never, ever, ever, never abandon us. He's never going to abandon you. That's why He sent Jesus for us, to love us. So if you're feeling the pain and agony right now in your heart, don't run. Draw closer to Christ. We have power in the resurrection. And I think we need to dare to believe the words that, of Jesus about God's willingness to forgive a broken and contrite heart. Make sure you hang out with other forgiven fallen people. But I think we need to understand that forgiveness is a process. When you hold on to God, the God of all creation, 
the God who created you, the God who adopted you as their child, the God who adores you, the God who died for you. Know that your picture is on his refrigerator. It's probably a really cool refrigerator too. But realize you're forgiven. Now, in a moment, it's amazing how these words just come out like that. Anyway, I want you to consider the words to this song, and we're going to be singing this in just a moment. And it's uh, amazing grace, my chains are gone. Just, just a couple of, of things. It says, how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. My chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, his mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. Now listen to this verse. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. My chains are gone. I've been set free. Unending love, amazing grace. My chains are gone. This morning our chains are gone because of Christ. Accept His forgiveness and draw close to Christ. We need to be around each of us to support. And when that voice comes in your mind saying, you're not worth anything, say in the name of Jesus, it's not true. God's Word says, Christ forgave me, and I'm forgiven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word this morning, and Lord, we thank You for just the amazing grace and we just every day experience it over and over. And Lord, I just pray this morning if there's any of us here struggling with accepting the fact that you've forgiven us, I just pray that they can deal with it right where they're sitting, but maybe there's some people around them. I'd be happy to talk with them and share that you forgive. And so Lord, I just pray that we can all just quit beating ourselves up and to realize that you've forgiven us and we're a workmanship in your hands. And I just pray that we can be molded into the people that you've called us to be. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.